The scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along on the screens behind me, or it's on page 859 in the Pew Bibles. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is God's word. If you'd like to follow in your Bibles, please stay on page 859. Pastor Brandon has been leading us through 1 John with the title, Abide. Abide gives us the sense of coming into deep intimacy with Jesus Christ and being filled by him. And that's a focus we want to have during the Lenten season. And so as Pastor has said earlier, He's written a booklet, and it's called Abide, that you can get on your way out um, to help you through this Lenten time. Now, as we begin Lent, we realize that it was really grounded in the temptations of Jesus, the 40 days in the wilderness, and so that's why we've chosen to preach on this message this week. There's a number of different facets wondrous teaching that we see in these words. Probably take at least a year to really cover all the different facets and aspects of this passage. But this morning, because we are, our desire is to draw us into greater intimacy with Jesus Christ, that's going to be the focus of our emphasis this morning. See, Jesus really wants our hearts. He's joined our hearts, his heart to ours, and I hope that we see that this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, your spirit is here. and I pray that uh, the words that I speak would truly be your words. Yet spoken words are not enough. We ask that your spirit take these words, minister them to my heart first, minister them to each heart here. We are all in different places, yet you know where we're at. You know the words we need to hear. Lord, minister your word today through your spirit. In Christ we pray. Amen. We live in a broken world. We see it in the headlines every day. We hear it in the travails of our friends and our neighbors, 
we experience it in our own lives, many different seasons of our lives. And because the world is so broken, we often ask the question, God, do you care? God, do do you understand what I'm going through? The passage today is going to answer that with a resounding yes. Jesus does know, Jesus does understand, Jesus does feel. But it should also leave us with another question. And that is, do we understand what Jesus went through? I want to do that unfolding and answering, uh, looking at four aspects of this passage. First, looking at that Jesus was really and truly tempted. Secondly, that those temptations were like ours, so he can understand us. Thirdly, that those temptations were far beyond ours. So we're left with the question, can we understand Jesus? And fourthly, then to look at his victory over those temptations so that he can offer himself to us. So was Jesus truly tempted? Theologians have actually debated this for centuries because they say Jesus was God and and God, God cannot sin. He's perfect and holy. So how could God ever be tempted? And some might say, well, he's tempted in the way a, a, an unarmed rowboat might come against a battleship. I mean, it, it tries to get him, but there's, he's just so strong, uh, like a battleship, there's, there's no way he could ever possibly fall to sin. So that leaves the question, is, is the temptation really real? It's more like a gnat bothering us, and God can just swat it away, and that's what Jesus, uh, Jesus did with sin. And if that was Jesus' experience, it's not something we can really relate to that much. For we truly, truly battle with sin. We, we fall to temptation. We struggle with it, even when we, when we succeed. Jesus truly was tempted. Because though Jesus is the Son of God, he is also the Son of Man. He, he was human like we are human. Luke takes pains to bring that out. If you notice the last words before Jesus enters into the wilderness, verse 38 of the third chapter says, He was the son of Enoch, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And so Luke wants ringing in our ears the fact that Jesus was the son of Adam as Jesus enters into the the wilderness. And that becomes clear when you look at the curiosities that are in this genealogy. Compare them, say, to Matthew. Matthew, who is trying to show us that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, traces Jesus' lineage back to, Ma- uh, to Abraham, the father of the nation. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to Adam, the first man. Matthew puts his genealogy at the beginning of the book. Luke curiously throws it right in the middle, interrupts 
the flow of Jesus being baptized and then Jesus immediately going out into the wilderness. He interrupts it with the genealogy. And whereas Luke follows the traditional way of citing genealogies, and that begins with the person and traces back to the furthest ancestor, Matthew reverses that order. Excuse me, it's the other way around. (laughs) He begins with the furthest ancestor and traces it to the person, in the case of Jesus. But Luke reverses it and begins with the furthest ancestor so that his last words will be, Son of Adam, Son of God. Luke takes pains to say, Jesus enters into the wilderness as man. And Hebrews chapter 2 confirms this when it says, For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. So the author of Hebrews points out Jesus was fully human in every way. And the emphasis is the every way is the way of temptations. And it even says he suffered while he was being tempted. That doesn't sound as though he's swatting away a gnat. Jesus truly was tempted. And he was tempted like us, as as Hebrews 2 says. He was fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is able to be merciful because he fully understands what we are going through. Why does he fully understand what we are going through? Because he was tempted in the same way as we were tempted. Scripturally speaking, he is tempted in all the ways that we're tempted. 1 John chapter 2 says we're tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. Jesus was tempted with the the lust of the eyes. Satan brought him up to the mountain so that he could see all the kingdoms of the world that could be his. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh. He was hungry. And there were stones. And Satan says, turn the stones into bread. Feed. Feed your flesh. And he was tempted with the boastful pride of life. Throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temples and the angels will save you and all the people will realize that you are the Messiah to great acclaim. Jesus was tempted in all the ways psychologically. Psychologists often point to the core needs in our lives. And I believe these can be boiled down to three. One is the physiological safety needs of our flesh that we, we need, we want to survive. And so that's why we avoid unsafe situations. That's why we, we make sure we have food and shelter. Jesus was tempted In that way. For he was hungry. He had been 40 days without food. And Satan says, feed yourself. 
Actually, Jesus took bread and fed 5,000. He wasn't averse to doing miracles with bread. But this temptation was to take a path differently than God was asking of him. So the temptation was there. Another core need in our lives is significance. That we need, we need to feel we matter. That I have some value. What greater value than to be the king of the entire world? And Satan tempts him in that realm. See these kingdoms. They can be yours here, right now. We all need to belong. We all need to be loved. That's why love is is the very center of life itself. And we need love. And as Gary said in Sunday school, and we need to love others. And Satan takes him up to the pinnacle and You know, instead of being rejected as Messiah, be loved, be accepted, be celebrated as Messiah. If you cast yourself from the pinnacle of the temple, the angels will save you. Everyone will know who you are. See, Jesus was tempted in every way, scripturally in every way, psychologically. Hebrews chapter 4 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are. The only difference is he didn't sin. Through these temptations, through the garden, through what Jesus Christ experienced on the cross, we see this verse come alive. Jesus truly and fully understands everything that we are going through. He was tempted with all of our temptations. We're lonely. Has Jesus ever been lonely? Well, He is right here in the wilderness for 40 days. But how alone must have he felt on the cross? Was Jesus ever deserted? Yes, he poured his life for three years into 12 disciples. They all abandoned him at the cross. Was he ever betrayed? He was betrayed by one of the closest to him. The very night he was betrayed, he he dipped the bread into the same cup as Judas. Sharing that intimacy, knowing that, that, that Judas would betray him. Did Jesus ever face injustice? Certainly that trial was the most unjust in history. What is it in your life that you wonder if Jesus has experienced? He's experienced it. You might say, well, he's never divorced. He was divorced from the God in whom he had an intimate love relationship from eternity past. He knew nothing but the love of God, yet on the cross he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaken me? Because God had to leave him because of our sin. And that's what we might say, well, at least he never sinned, but he felt sin. You feel the sin of your sin. He felt the sin of everybody in this room. He felt the sin of everybody alive. He felt the sin of everybody who ever lived. 
when he took it on the cross. You might say, well, he was never paralyzed. Imagine being on the cross. The God of the universe could have called angels down to save him. Could have proven to everyone who he was right at that moment by coming off the cross. But he was paralyzed, immobile. He made him see, allowed himself to be that. Helpless. So that he may be the greatest of helpers. I challenge you, anything you feel, look to the cross. And we would say, Jesus, not even felt that. But he probably felt it in a greater degree and we have ever felt it. And that's what we see in the third point. Jesus' temptations were more severe than ours. And we can start by comparing them to Adam. And that's what Luke is trying to do. The son of Adam, Jesus. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Consider the circumstances of Adam's failure. He was in a paradise where God had given him everything. Jesus was in a wilderness where he had nothing but stone to eat. If Adam didn't give in to his temptation, he would be given the tree of life. If Jesus didn't give in to the temptation, He'd be given the tree of death. But more so, his sin, his temptation was, was the greatest possible temptation that we can't imagine. Whom does Satan want to tempt? We often talk about, well, you know, Satan doesn't have to bother with a lot of people. He's going to go after the most spiritual. He wants the pastors to fall. Who is the greatest pastor? Who is the good shepherd of all? Jesus, he's going to go after him. Jesus, uh, Satan wants to go after the influential, those who have the most power. Who was more influential than Jesus himself? Jesus, he's, Satan's going to go after the ones that would cause the greatest harm by a fall, shock the most people, get people to question their faith. Who more than if he got the Messiah to succumb? And Satan is going to ratchet up the temptation if you don't give in. If level one isn't enough to get us to sin, he's going to ratchet up to level two and level three and level four. He's going to ratchet it up and ratchet it up until we sin. In in the movie Heart's War, ah, it's about prisoners in a prison camp. And uh, Colin Farrell, a lieutenant, comes into the camp and he comes to, the, the, to Bruce Willis who heads that prison camp as a, as a soldier, an American soldier. And he tells them, they ask him, he said, uh, did, you give, did you give in to the torture? And he said, no, I didn't give in. And they they ended up sending him to the quarters of the regular man. And he was wondering why he was being pushed out and not accepted as, a, as another officer. And one of the days, Bruce Willis tells him why. 
He says, you lied to us because everyone gives in. When you said, when you came here three days after your arrest, we knew you gave in very easily. Bruce Willis, the toughest of all, he lasted 30 days, but he gave in. See, Jesus didn't give in. Can you imagine the level of temptation that Jesus was bringing into the life, excuse me, that Satan was bringing into the life of Christ, ratcheting up, ratcheting it up? Uh, One of the commentators of Luke says, the weak man gives way well before the force of temptation reaches him. The sinlessness of Jesus augments his capacity for empathy because in every case he felt the full force of temptation. We might look at these temptations and say, you know, how could he be tempted to just fall down and worship Satan? Look at the end of the story in Matthew to see that these temptations were not only real, but they were so intense that at the end of them, God had to send his angels to minister to Jesus Christ. Never had to do that to me, even when I haven't given in to temptation. See, the question we ask is, can Jesus relate to us in our weaknesses? Can he relate to us in what we go through and and, in our temptations? And the answer is yes. But I, I leave this question now for the Lenten period. Can we understand what Jesus has gone through? Can we enter into his life and understand and feel what he felt for us? You see, the temptation of Jesus was the greatest because the one he wanted most to fall was the one who would be savior of the world. If he could get Jesus to sin, there would be no savior. He could not pay for the sins of humanity. He would be paying for his own sin. And Satan did everything in order to get Jesus to avoid the cross. Each one of these temptations was a way to get Jesus to avoid the cross. We see it clearly in the temptation of these kingdoms can be yours. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross to to win victory and to win the kingdom, to establish your kingdom on earth here. I will give it to you freely. No battle, it's yours. Great temptation. He doesn't have to go to the cross. But Jesus says, I'll go. The temptation about the bread. Why? Why couldn't Jesus turn the stone to bread? He was hungry. He does miracles for bread. It's not about the miracle. It's about for whom is he doing that miracle? When Jesus turned bread into multiple loaves, it was for the crowd. 
He did his miracles for us. Not one miracle was selfish. Satan is trying to get Jesus to begin his ministry by thinking first of himself. He's the son of God. He has all power. Think first of yourself. But Jesus wouldn't do that. And the second temptation, or the third temptation, he takes him to the pinnacle. And Satan quotes scripture, he quotes the psalm that says, God will protect you with his angels. He won't let your foot strike a stone. If Jesus bought into that interpretation of the psalm, he says, God's going to perfectly protect you. That's what he's all about. He's all about saving you and protecting you. How could Jesus ever even consider the cross? Certainly God wouldn't want to torment and torture and nail Jesus to a cross. God is the protector God. Each of these temptations was a great temptation to say, you don't need to go to the cross. Think about yourself first. Consider number one. But that's not in Jesus' nature. He is love. He always thinks first of others. So he said no, turning into the bread. I will not do miracles for myself. It's for them. He said no to the presentation of the kingdoms because I'm going to do it God's way. And that's through the cross. He said no to this interpretation that I'm going to protect you. And he says no. I've read Isaiah 53. I'll be like a lamb led to slaughter. You see, Jesus understands us. Uh, If you'd like, you could turn to Psalm 88. It's in page 495 in the Pew Bibles. Timothy Lane is a a well-known Christian counselor and and he shares that he counsels many people who are in despair and depression and anxiety. They feel lost. They feel hopeless. And, And he takes them to this psalm and he has them read it. And it goes, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my prayer, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. But like one set free from the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, they are cut off from the, the hand, your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit in the regions, dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily upon me and you overwhelm me with your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. If you work wonders for the dead or the departed, rise up to praise you. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or in your faithfulness in Abaddon? 
Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of the forgetful? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. You surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And the psalm ends. Where's the hope? There's none. And yet, Dr. Lane will say, everyone who reads that is encouraged. They're encouraged because they say, you understand me. That psalm is me. You understand me. And then he shares, yes, God understands you. But this isn't just about you. This is what Jesus Christ experienced for you on the cross and in a life that lived under the shadow of the cross. You see, the question we ask today is no longer does he understand us? Can he relate to us? Can he feel with us? The question is, can we relate to him? Can we understand him? Can we feel what he's gone through for us? Let's use the Lenten period to grow deeper into Christ, to abide in him. Our Father, don't leave these words in this sanctuary today. This is your word the Psalms, the Hebrews, Luke, all of it. First John, Lord, meet us each day. Refresh us each day with you and your love. In Christ we pray, amen.